Hey, welcome to another episode of Showtime with Poop. Insightful BS with my Laker friends and NBA legends. And today is Ari and myself. And we are going to talk a little bit about uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm sorry to say that I did get in. I really was looking forward to uh, that. But you know what? Ari, just the fact that I was even nominated to get to that level, to that stage of, of the voting uh, was really heartfelt. I mean, I felt, you know, my career uh, was good, but it's always nice to know if that path could lead to the Hall of Fame doors. This year, I wasn't able to get in, but there's always next year. That's why I tell kids about basketball. There's always another game and there's always another season to be played. And with the Hall of Fame, uh, again, not bashing on any of the ones because I think anybody that gets in there is well-deserving. Uh, the ones that got in before Michael Cooper is going to be Ben Wallace, Rick Allman, uh, and we'll talk about him individually, Jay Wright, Lauren Jackson, Yolanda Griffin, Bill Russell as a coach. <laughs> he was ready in. Great player for the Chicago Bulls, Paul Pierce. Uh, another question and Chris Bosch. Uh, are your thoughts on it? So let me ask you first, how do you, how'd you find out that you didn't get in? Cause I, I obviously everybody knows you get the call. If you get it, do you get a call either way? How does that yeah, happen? You got a call either way. I got my call Wednesday. Uh, they were calling us everybody from 12, between 12 and, 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 uh, two, uh, East coast time. And I get the call and he goes, uh, Hey, Michael Cooper, um, you know, unfortunately, you didn't get enough votes uh, to be considered in the Hall of Fame. Uh, sorry to tell you that, but uh, there's always next year. And you know what? I was, I was hurt a little bit, sad. But how could you not yeah, be? It's me? okay to be. How could you not be? It's. I mean, it's a. It's a big deal. Yeah. To, I mean, as you mentioned, it's a big deal to be considered for it. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it. It's going to hurt, of course, if you don't get in. It's course it's going to hurt. You know what, Ari? I thought the, the, the basketball gods had aligned everything. This is the year of 2021. I wore number 21. I just thought, I just felt, <laughs> and, and to be denied. But you know what? I know eventually just to be added to the list gives me a, a chance every year to get in there. Uh, it would kind of be nice to get in uh, before you're no longer here. <laughs> And then your kids are wanting doing your acceptance speech. But you know what? Better late than never. And I'm just honored to be considered. But again, I say congratulations to all those that got in. Ben Wallace, Rick Allen, Jay Wright, Lauren Jackson, Yolanda Griffin, uh, Bill Russell, uh, Tony Kukos, Paul Pierce, and Chris Bosch. So congratulations to them. The other thing, the other thing I'll say is, you know, look, I mean, I, I, I felt like this for you was not just about your playing days with Lakers, right? I mean, that, that's part of it, but the coaching, you know, winning championships at, at, at the NBA as a player, as a coach for the WNBA with the Sparks, and then, of course, uh, in the, the D-League. You know, I mean, that's, that's a decorated career, both influencing the game as a player and as a coach. And the other thing I'll say, too, is, you know, a player, a player like you, to, to me – I covered Tim Duncan in the Spurs and Tim was this great player of selflessness and, 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 you know, deferring his ego for the better of the team. I think that very much is, it staples your career too, or you could have gone other places. And we've talked about this and score more points and been more of a focal point in offense, but the, the willingness to, to buy in to that team mentality, that's, you know, that was a part of the picture of why I thought, you know, you should get in and would get in. 
Uh, you know, it eventually all right, will. All great points, but let me ask you this because I really don't know how this let this process go. What's the criteria? And I think you hit all of those of getting in. I think the people that are voting for this, what are they looking at? I know there's a little bit of uh, politicalness going on behind totally. the scenes with this. Uh, but for me, when I think of being in the Hall of Fame and I think of your contribution to the game of basketball, uh, I'm looking at all those attributes and things that you had just mentioned on. And I think all the players are all the list of people that are going in on this list has exemplified those to the utmost. I would like to think that, yes, I was very, very important to the team uh, for the Lakers. And as you stated, it was uh, important to um, understand what it takes to, to uh, be selfless in a game of basketball, to give back. And I mean, there are people that go in, I think uh, without being selfless, I think you have like a players like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, the, the records and the things that they did individually sets them apart from a lot of players. And again, teams are sometimes built around great players, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, and to Championship me- Championship teams always are. Yeah, so, uh, but those players stand out and they stand out head and shoulders above beyond. But again, I think once you get into the hall, you're considered one of the great legendary players that's ever played this game. So, um, but if you if you look at those accolades that people have, then it makes you not necessarily question, but it makes you scratch your head a little bit on the players that have been selfless. But again, that's what Ben Wallace was. I mean, a, a great player, wasn't a scorer, great defensive player, I loved his afro. That was the one thing I was jealous about him about. That afro was going back. And oh, yeah. Kind of thing. And then he actually wore the armband, the headbands on his arm. That's how big his, his biceps were. Uh, but Ben was a great player, four-time NBA Defensive Player of the Year, won two championships with the Detroit Pistons. And when you think of players like that, you know, you got to nod your head. But then I ask you this, Ari, what's the difference between Ben Wallace and Michael Cooper? And that kind of right, again, makes you scratch your head and it makes you think, okay, what is the difference? But like I said, better late than never. And you know what? It's a rare thing, Ari, and you tell me different if I'm wrong on this. It's hard to get in that first time. It's hard to get to the Hall of Fame. <laughs> it's hard to get in, period. Well, ben right? Wallace got in, so it can't be too hard. can't be too hard. He got in, and I've had more championships than him, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's just uh, a You're matter right, of though. I think the, I think the people that are voting on it, I think, you know, if they know Ben Wallace a little better than they know Michael Cooper, and if they're right. looking at the stats the right way, exactly. they probably say, you know what, hey, Coop could go in next year or the few years down the road, let's get Ben in now. Yeah, and, and I, I, when, I, when I saw Ben Wallace's name, that was my immediate thought was, man, I mean, we're talking about, you know, all-time, you know, really good rebounder, really good defensive player, four-time defensive player of the year, a couple of championships, but, like, you know, Coop is a better offensive player, you know, Coop had, you know, defensive uh, player of the year as well, won multiple championships, both as a player and as a coach. I, I just, I mean, I, I look at the Hall of Fame as being, it it's, tells the story of basketball. It's a museum to tell the story of basketball. So can you tell the story of basketball about these guys, these individuals, these players, these men and women? And I, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm hosting a show with you, obviously, but it's beyond that. The Showtime Lakers in your role on those teams you can't tell the story of basketball without the Showtime Lakers and you. So, you know, I mean, could you, could you tell a story of basketball without Ben Wallace? I don't know. Uh, and some of these other guys, I'm not so sure about that. 
But I do wonder if there's more of like a modern where some of these players that played, you know, that are more modern, that they have a leg up because a lot of the people that are voting on it are probably having covered them and maybe didn't cover you. And that, to your point, is the political part of this. And I hate to it sucks to have to disparage other guys to prove the point. But it's like if you look at Ben Wallace's numbers, you look at Cooper's numbers. Yeah, it's I just like to hear the argument for Ben Wallace and against Michael Cooper, I guess, is my point. Don't sit on the sidelines. Get in on the action at exclusive partner betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code CLNS50 to get your 50% bonus. That's 50% extra cash at sign up with code CLNS50. Get insights into all the NBA action across the season, plus all sports professions, collegiate as well as pop culture, and even reality television wagering. Don't sit on the sideline anymore. Get in on the fun, in-season action at Bet Online. Don't forget to use my special Michael Cooper promo code of CLNS50 to get a 50% sign-up bonus with your first deposit. Bet Online today at BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook expert. I just like to hear the argument for Ben Wallace and against Michael Cooper, I guess, is my point. I would, I would love to hear that, too. But you know what? It's not just Ben Wallace. Again, like I said, everybody that goes into the hall, I think, deserves to be there if they're, right. they're picked. Uh, again, I would put my numbers up against Tony Kukoc. Great yeah. player yeah. Uh, with the Chicago Bulls. Uh, took a long time for him to get into this league. He was a little bit afraid to come in early on back in the, what was that, the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but eventually he finally got here and came on and was, a, and was a decent player for the team. But you really got a chance to see his worth because when Jordan retired, he kind of went down the tank. Yeah. But you know what? Again, yep. a great player uh, for him to cross that line, but to become an international player to an American player and play in the NBA at the time, because he was one of the, the, the trailblazers for European players to come across and come over and play in the NBA. He was a little hesitant to come over here. But again, congratulations to Tony. Uh, his numbers might be a little bit better than mine as far as scoring. But uh, another six man, another guy that came up. Was probably one of the worst defensive players you could ever see on that Bulls team. But again, a great player playing behind. And they covered up his weaknesses. So uh, he's another one. But again, they all, again, Paul Pierce, I think, was uh, uh, a, a shoe in until. Uh, some video popped up about him and then you have to kind of like wonder what uh, uh, made him the player that got in. And I mean, again, makes you think, what are they looking at? It's his play on the court and not necessarily off the court, but again, kudos to Paul Pierce because he took that Boston team and single, well not single handedly because he had Garnett with him and Rondo uh, did some spectacular things and set himself apart too. What about Bill Russell as a coach? Now he's the first, I believe he was the first African-American head coach in the NBA. Well, I think that alone right there allows him to go in, but couldn't you just put an asterisk by his name as a player already in there? Right, right. He's going to get it twice. You got to put him in oh. twice. Yeah, he's a coach too. But you know what? It's great to, uh, I think it really it, uh, separates the two. You know, you go in as a player and then you go in as a coach. And yes, he's in there once already, but he's going in for two different purposes that, again, as you said, tells the story of the game of basketball uh, through your history. And again, I, you know, I, for you, I don't know that I, I would I would hope you wouldn't separate those two, because to me, I think they go hand in hand. You as a player and you as a coach, you know, I, I wouldn't see it that way. I, again, I don't know if that's how they are 
just sort of just a distinction there where there's two careers for you, mm-hmm. but I would put it all in. And that's where, when, you know, when anybody would talk about you in the hall of fame, it's like, don't forget about the success he had as a coach, you know, at the WNBA level, at the, at the D league level, like that's, it's about influencing basketball at every level. And, and when you think about, again, your career and then your career as a player and as a, as a coach to me, that those two tie in together to get you into the hall of fame. And, and yeah, but again, I, I think I mean- you still will. I think you still hit something on the head is what you did as a coach. And that's after, I think that's what the thinking is with Bill Russell being the first African-American NBA coach, uh, separating the two. Uh, although it's one person doing the same, uh, the same thing at, on, on different levels as a coach, you have to get your philosophy over the players and hopefully it happens out on the court. But as a player, you get to actually impact the game yourself. So again, like I said, we're just having conversation here. Congratulations to Bill Russell because he's one of the icons. And anybody with 16 championships, enough rings to put on both hands and one foot and start on that other toe, your big toe, <laughs> got to be a Hall of Famer to me. Uh, Chris Bosch, what do you think about him? You know, I, that's another guy where you look at his numbers and wonder – you know, I mean, look, he he was a really impactful player on a couple of those Heat championship teams, was a really good player for the Raptors for many, many years that didn't do much. Um, guy's career was cut short. You know, I it's a, when you follow this class up from the 2020 class of Garnett, Duncan, and and Kobe, you know, it 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 kind of I mean, it's kind of a weak class. It's kind of a weak class compared to that class quite frankly. I mean, who, who's the best, who's the best all-time player from the class of 2021? I, very weak. And again, you talk about some great, great players in Tim Duncan, Garnett and uh, Kobe. Uh, but I mean, you can put here. Duncan and, and you can put Duncan and, and, and Kobe is two of the 10 all-time greatest players ever, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, you know what, Garnett, Top fifteen? Would you go Garnett? Of greatest players that ever played? That's t- maybe top twenty. Maybe top twenty. I would go fifteen with him because I think he did some. Uh, he came in and he really changed the game of of. of uh, I know Scottie Pippen was supposed to be this point forward. That was it. I think Garnett came in and really enlarged that position even more because here he was a legitimate four and sometimes a center and was able to move on that perimeter. But I think with Tim, with, uh, I'm going to talk with Kevin, uh, KG, I think the thing that separates him from a lot of players, and this is why I put him in the top 15 players that's ever played this game, was his tenacity and his grit. I mean, I've never seen anybody that could go at you and his, his ability to change the game by a look and just by not necessarily scoring, but his, his, his uh, physical aggressiveness down on the floor. And I think for, for slim people such as myself, when I played and, and did, you have to have a little bit of that. So to me, that kind of moves them up the ladder. But for sure, I'm with you. Are you top 20 of all times ever played this game, Garnett? But I'm going to go top 15 for me. Well, and I, you know, look, what I'll say again for you in this is we've talked to a lot of players that played for Showtime, obviously. We've talked to a lot of players that didn't play for Showtime, a lot of guys you defended on this podcast. And everybody we've talked to has said, the Lakers don't win five championships without Michael Cooper. I don't know how many they win, but it ain't five. So I think that speaks a lot of 
your meaning, how much you meant to those teams. And, you know, I mean, how many guys from Showtime Lakers are in the, are in the hall of fame? Well, if you're looking at Coop and saying, Hey, this is a guy that if he's not on the Laker, if he's not on the Showtime Lakers, they're not winning five titles to me. That makes the biggest case here beyond everything else we've talked about um, would be that, you know, all, all defensive team, eight times defensive player of the year, five championships, the Lakers. And because of the importance of having lockdown perimeter defenders in that era of basketball, when you think of the great players, I mean, Larry Bird saying the toughest defender ever went up against, like that's got to mean something in the golden age of basketball. Maybe we should get Larry talking a little bit more next year about that. That might <laughs> add to the thing. That'd be my political point right there. That's right. Larry that's right. Everybody, you got to get Coop in. You got to get that stuff in. matters too. Like you're, oh, for sure. It does. I mean, that's huge. Sure. And you know what? When you think about Ben Wallace and you think about uh, uh, Tony Kukos, and I have to catch myself sometimes. I go like, well, what made them different from me? I mean, you know, they had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, uh, Ben right. had uh, Isaiah Thomas. And you know what? When I look in the mirror, I say, well, <laughs> I had Kareem, Magic, and Worthy carrying me. So, uh, you know, that stops me from really comparing myself to those guys because, again, we were fortunate to play on some great teams. And I think if you look at the three of us, myself, Ben Wallace, and Tony, I have to say that we were kind of like that glue that kind of held all that totally. together. Those other little special things, you know, and Tony became an important part because he became that third prong that they definitely needed because you had Steve Kerr and, and Craig Hodges as well as Dennis Robin on the team, but Tony was that other little piece that kind of put all the, made it all fit together well. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're right with, with you know, Tony coming off the bench and being the sixth man and, and you know, I mean, look, Ben Wall, none of these guys, I mean, Chris Webber, probably the exception here, but none of these guys were at any point. Paul Pierce was for a time, the best player in the Celtics mm-hmm. and Chris Bosch was the best player in the Raptors. But when they won titles, Ku coach, Ben Wallace, Chris Bosch, Paul Pierce, none of them were the best players in their teams. They all, yeah. you know, deferred to Garnett or in Bosch's case to, to, you know, to, to Ray Allen and to LeBron Ku coach to Pippen and Jordan and Rodman in some ways. So, and then, you know, Ben Wallace, Chauncey Billups and, and, and Rip Hamilton and those teams. So, you know, it, it's, it's, I think you hit on the nail on the head there with the glue guys, you know, that 100% is what you were and what they were. And again, I, I mean, Ku coach, they won titles before Ku coach got there. Yeah. yeah. Um, the Lakers, did, you know, I mean, you're as part of every one of those titles that the Lakers won the Showtime Lakers. Yeah. Well, again, we look at the coaching with Bill Russell going, Rick Adelman, great coach for Portland under uh, the great Jack Ramsey, as well as many other coaches. And uh, he's fitting and deserving to go in. uh, That's one that I wouldn't argue much about. And then just to flip it on the other side for a quick second would be the WNBA. And I know now with the women's league being very, very important to the whole scheme of basketball, because you have that, uh, you have to include some some women into the Hall of Fame. And Tamika Ketchings went in with this 2020 class. A great player, played for the Indiana Fever. Uh, Harvey Ketching's daughter. Uh, she fought a lot of adversity. You know, I think she had a hearing impairment, which made her have a speech impediment. She overcame both of that to be the type of player that she was. And, and you know what? For a moment, you could call her the Kobe Bryant of the women's game at that time when she was playing. Cause she, wow. And I remember because we had a coach against her. Great, great player. But you look at the classes going in 2021, you have Lauren Jackson, Australian player, 6'5". She was a rival to Lisa Leslie. 
uh, but could never get over the hump. The Australian could never beat the Americans in the Olympics. And then she came to the league and still had her problem because Lisa used to give it to her. But once she figured this game out, like Tony Kukars, Lauren Jackson was, after we won our championship, was probably the most dominant player to play the game at 6'5", a person that could step out on that perimeter and hit a jump shot of three, could get it done inside. And just her, her, uh, her overall toughness as a big person playing in the game really led them uh, to the championship that they had along with Sue Bird, that Seattle Storm team. And then you got to throw in Yolanda Griffin there, played for the Sacramento Monarchs. Yolanda would, to me, if I'm just trying to compare her to an NBA player so people can understand what type of player this woman was, I'd compare her to the, the, the late, great Moses Malone. Relentless oh, wow. on them boards. Wasn't a great offensive scorer, but could hit her share of shots. But her job was to, to get up there and rebound. Go, she can go get you 15 to 20 rebounds. She could, uh, she was going to give you that physical toughness on the board. And like I said, relentless on both that offensive end and that defensive end. And every game we had to prepare for that Sacramento team. You always had to say, hey, listen, keep this young lady off the boards. And, and if we did that, which we very rarely did, we lucked out some games. But if you didn't do that, you weren't going to beat that team. What did you um, – I have a couple questions for you. I want to I want to get to the Kobe thing, but let me ask you this on the WNBA because you coached there for so long. What do, what do you think the WNBA's influence is on basketball, if there is one? I think it's, it has shown that women can play this game at the level that men play. Granted, athletically, they don't play above the rim. But the game was never meant to be played above the rim. It was supposed to be played mm-hmm. under the rim. And under the rim, the women are more fundamentally sound. They are truly adherent to the team concept of basketball because they don't have, well, at the time I was coaching, and they had some players that could, uh, you could throw them the ball and they could go get a shot like Michael Jordan, uh, 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 Kobe. They can go individually and get it, but that's going to be rare for most women. You have like, Tamika Catchings, you have Maya Moore in Minnesota, players that can yeah. do it. So their contribution to the game is showing that they can play at the fundamental level, the way the game Dr. Naismith meant to be played. Women are playing that game at a high level. And, you know, it's a shame that they don't get as much recognition, but they're starting to get that. And I think that was proven by the Olympic teams with winning, uh, Lisa Leslie, Tina Thompson, Cynthia Cooper, and then that WNBA coming into play. And now you got some pretty good players that are playing the game now. So you have to recognize these women for their toughness of the game, for the smarts of the game, and for the ability to play. And again, the only player I think, and Lauren Jackson might have been the other one, but the only player I think that ever could have played in the NBA as a woman was Lisa Leslie. And the only reason she couldn't is because of physicality. Men are just stronger than women. She, Lisa couldn't handle the hand checking, the physical bumping. Uh, when she go up for a shot, guys would knock her off balance a little bit. And that prevented her from truly being the player that she could have been. But you know what? That's the thing that holds women back is that physicality of the, of the men's game and the women's game. Now, at the women's level, they play real physical, but they can't play like that as the men play. So let me ask you. So okay, on, on Kobe, and, and they did the 2020 induction, um, obviously, this weekend as well what you would you make of Vanessa and, and Kobe getting to the Hall of Fame finally uh I thought that was a no-brainer I thought Vanessa's speech was uh, uh apropos uh again this woman you gotta remember lost the love of her life lost the father of her kids uh lost probably the one of the greatest players ever played this game and it's just you know um it was just fitting I think it was just perfect 
to have Kobe, I mean, to put him in. And uh, he's first timer. You know, it's unfortunate that it is the way it is that we lost him in the tragic uh, that the crash that happened. But Kobe was gonna get in, uh, you know. But again, it was just, yeah, it makes me want to cry because he should be here, you know. Yeah. Uh, it, and the other thing to me that stood out about it was, um, you know, she 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 was talking about the, his willingness to play through injury, to play through you know physical pain and the toughness. And and to me, I thought it kind of spoke to the modern game and something we've talked about a lot with guys, you know, resting and you know. S- it's an inevitability of the game today, but I thought that, that she had in part of her speech, she really took it to sort of that element of the NBA today, where it's like, guys just aren't, there's no willingness, you know, not to say it's less competitive, but I think that's what she was sort of alluding to was Kobe just wouldn't sit out with injuries. You know, he, every game meant so much to him. And that's something that you guys obviously played with too. The same kind of mentality. Yeah. That's old school basketball. You know, his father is Jellybean Bryant and I'm pretty sure he watched his dad twist his ankle. And if you love this game of basketball, and I'm not saying that a lot of today's players don't love it, but you got to be willing to give it your all. And, um, you know, that's one reason that the Lakers are suffering the way they are. Now I'm not saying LeBron wasn't hurt. I had a bad ankle sprain too. And man, I wanted to get out there on the floor. I wasn't going, I, I wanted to play. So I'm going to do everything I can, the rehabbing, the treatment, things like that. But if I can kind of walk and I knew that my teammates needed me because I was a defensive player, I'm going to get out there. But today's players are a little different. They're more cognizant and conscious of their health because that is their moneymaker, their body. And, uh, you know, things happen. But, uh, yeah, she made a, a, I think it was a a little uh, cheap shot she shot to these guys because, again, these guys do not play. And this thing was this, what is it? The maintenance thing, the, right, that, that right. whole kind basketball, 82 games, you get paid to come out and perform. Now, if you're hurt or injured, you can't play. Then I understand that, but to rest because you've been playing too many minutes. Okay. Then if I'm a coach, I'm gonna cut back on your minutes. So instead of letting you play 38, 40, I'm gonna cut it back to 25, 30 and see how you feel then. And I think that's what this is about. And Kobe was one that wasn't going to be denied, but there were so many more before him. Kobe learned from us back then on yeah. how to play this game and to come out there and want to play this game. You can get rest after the game. Okay. If I don't, if, if you want to rest, let me rest coach. Listen, I can't practice today. Let me take that time off, but to take time off in a game where you're not hurting other than just rest. I don't, I don't understand that. Do you think player, I mean, do you think it's fair to say the players are less competitive because of like that sort of an unwillingness to not even fight back against that idea, or is it just, it's just the way the modern, it's just the way the modern game goes. And these guys are still competitive. It's just, they, they just, you know, it, it, it's just a different era and players are, are more willing to sort of sit out even for maintenance, you know, because of the big picture. And I think they'd be allowed that. I think pop coach Popovich started that. Yeah. And no again, question. I understand what he was trying to do. But you do that in, in time of practice, because you got to remember, fans are paying a lot of money to come see you play. And for them to come to a game and your favorite player, and you only see him once or twice a season, and I'm coming to see Kobe, and, okay, is Kobe twisted ankle? Is Kobe uh, pull a hamstring or something like that? Is it back out or something? Oh, no, he's just resting because he's been tired. He played too many games this, this, this road trip. And did that you guys, with the, did the Showtime Lakers, like, did you guys embrace that idea of, hey, people are coming to play, are paying to watch us play and like yeah. Magic yeah. and Kareem? I mean, that was. 
For sure. And Pat Riley, he was a big, big uh, contributor of that. He was like, hey, people are paying you guys, paying to see you guys play. Come on out. You got to p- play. They want to see Magic Johnson, Kareem. So, again, we that fell down to us. It trickled down to us. And that's how we were. Come on and play. Okay. And what Magic did is if Magic wasn't right, he would take a practice off. Okay. I can see that. But we need you during the game. And, and I think that is what's hurting the league a little bit today. And um, again, but the, the league has started that. So now the players have become accustomed to that. So that's what they're going to do now. I'm not going to play today because I'm a little fatigued, coach. You know, it was a tough travel. Uh, we, you know, we, after the game, uh, we got on this charter and we had all this fresh fruit and great things and nice looking stewardess. And we got there and we got into the next market at one o'clock in the morning and they snuck us through the back door. I didn't carry any of my luggage. The luggage was sent up to the room like uh, I'm on a tour. So person and uh, we've been asleep all day. We we didn't have shoot around. And now I go to the game and you know what, coach, I'm just not feeling it. I, I'm still a little hurting a little bit. I call bullshit. <laughs> bullshit, you know, yo, travel like we did. Fucking play one night, and then the next day you got to get up at six in the morning to catch this this flight. And if they didn't have first class, I had to sit in coach back there. But we got first class. We traveled. We had to go down to the terminal. We had to pick our bags because like the, the trainer didn't know our bags. So, so we picked our bag. We packed our own personal. Now they have team bags, so the team bags all look alike. And you have to get your bag and physically carry it to the bus and drop it there. Then the guy took it and put it on the bus. Travel like that. Do that for a one or two seasons. For me, it was, what, about eight seasons we did that, you know. And then you got to come out and play. And you know what? Guys performed at a high level, too. And that, to me, is basketball. But, again, there's so much money going around now that it has made these guys a little bit soft. And But that's the way of the world, and that's the game that we see today. You're listening to Michael Cooper, another edition to Showtime with Coop, talking about the Hall of Fame, among many other gripes that we have for this particular show. (laughs) But they're funny ones, and it's part of the game of basketball. And my boy, A.T. in the house. What else, Coop? What else is on your mind this weekend? That's it, Ari. (laughs) You know what? Nothing much for me, man. It's been uh trying time I, I tell you i've never been as stressful as i was waiting for that hall of fame call you know thinking about okay am i gonna get in what am i gonna say then they send you all this information about you gotta have memorabilia you gotta have this you gotta have that if you get in you gotta fly here and it was very stressful man that you see my gray beard they call me they call me the silver one. fox now not coop but the silver fox i was wondering when you're gonna die gold again i know <laughs> But it's been great. But uh, well, look. last subject I'd like to cover are, would be these playoffs. And this year has been so, so difficult and different. Obviously, with the 10-game cutback at 72, but I'm actually liking this. All right. This play-in, I think, is absolutely great for the league, man, because you know what? It makes you watch all these games to the end, like the Lakers play today. And they, got, they play last night, and they got to play. The Lakers got to win. And if they don't win, they, that, that it's going to shuffle. And it just makes basketball interesting. And it makes all these last games where people are usually throwing the games or not playing hard and you right. hold out your whole starting team. It's, it's, teams are still playing and it makes it competitive. Can you believe the Lakers are, are going to be in the, this playing tournament probably? Absolutely amazing. They, how do you go from two, from two to seven, possibly eight, slide down that far, two to eight playing in this year in what, less than two months? 
because of one player. Oh, actually two, but they were doing pretty good without AD. And AD is starting to see what the, the worth that LeBron has because those games were tough on him. And I guarantee he had a flashback of when he was with the Pelicans having to play hard and still coming up short, putting them numbers. But you know what? I was a little fearful that LeBron wasn't going to play the rest of this year. I'm glad to see him come back against the Pacers, which was a tough game for the Lakers that they won. This last game is going to be important. But the Lakers are not assured to win the championship unless they get out this first round. You think they still win it? I think if they get out this first round, which is going to be scary, and if they lose, they play Memphis, and if they win, they got the Warriors or something like that or however it's going. It's it's all up in the air because there's so many games are going on. If they can get out of that play-in game and get get that five- or seven-game series, I think they can get their rhythm, find their rhythm, and then they can get back into this. But right now, I'm very fearful for them because you have to have a chemistry, which they had in the bubble last year, that that projected them and propelled them to go forward. You have to have that, and I just don't see that now. I think two of the biggest things that they did was let Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee get up out of L.A., because those guys gave your defense that that anchor, and they don't have that. Uh, Andre Drummond, I think, can can do it a little bit, but they don't have. And that's where now AD becomes more important, and he's not up under the basket as much as he liked to block shots where those other two guys were. Yeah, no, and you said that right after they won the title. We were talking. You were saying they can't let these guys walk. You know that these are important parts to what they were able to do and they were able to be multiple where you could play small ball, but then also kind of, you know, play big and nobody could match that size. And you're right. I mean, it's, it is certainly plagued them this year. Now they, they still have this last game and they could still get to the six seed with Denver and Portland playing as well. So we'll see if they could, they could avoid that, uh, that playing tournament. And I bet you the league 100% hopes that they could avoid playing in the playing tournament. Um, but I look, I, I just don't see any way that they, even if they played in that tournament, that they they'll get through a, a seven game series. But I mean, I'd be shocked if they didn't. And still, I think they end up in the Western Conference Finals. But it's just rare to see a team seated that low get there. I think the Rockets, as a six seed, the lowest seed to ever win an NBA championship. So if they were able to, you know, try to do it from a seven seed, it's gonna be a tough, tough road for them. That's why this year's NBA is gonna be absolutely exciting. And I think whether your team is in there or not, and my team is the Los Angeles Lakers, this is going to be a very, very good playoff this year because I think Brooklyn is going to – Brooklyn is making people think about winning a championship. I think with Harden coming back, sitting out as long as he did, they still have the ability to get it together. But uh, this is going to be fun this year. I'm really, really excited to see how this is going to play out. But come on, Lakers. And I'm hating at the Celtics. I'm wishing the Celtics go ahead and take that dive. And that way I don't have to see any green for the rest of the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> That's that you're right. That's the way they're going to be in the playing tournament, but they're, I mean, they're a mess. They're an absolute mess. And with with uh, Jalen Brown, I was going to really put a lot of pressure on them, man. That's going to, yeah. I've never seen so many unknown players with the Celtics playing. I look on TV. I was watching the game the other day. The only one I knew out there was uh, Tatum. I didn't know those other guys were out there. I'm like, where they come from? So he's really a coach is scraping the end of the bench. He must have went to the injured reserve list or their D-League team list and got some <laughs> I mean, seriously. Oh, my goodness. It's funny. But all right, there you go. That's another one in the can for us, sir. Um, 
<laughs> Look, I'm I'm disappointed for you, buddy. And but you know, next year's another year, and you know, just gotta get gotta tell Larry Bird, Larry Legend, start, start spreading the Michael Cooper gospel so we can get Cooper in the Hall of Fame for next year. So we'll see. Maybe I need to make more ruckus to certain people. Call get more involved with the Retired Players Association. Get in there with. Them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> talking, but you know what, Ari? It's like I said, man. One day I'm gonna get in there. I really do believe it, and I just think it's a matter of time. And I, my saying is always better late than never. And I just want to. I would like to be here when, <laughs> when it happens, but if not, as long as I get in. Oh yeah, absolutely, brother. <laughs>